Welcome back to Second Helping, the top podcast of choice of fans and followers of the number one conference in all of collegiate athletics. That conference, of course, the SEC. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network, joined by my longtime great friend and co-host here on the podcast, Mr. Brent Beard, college football analyst extraordinaire, also a voter in the race for the top individual honor in all of collegiate athletics, the Heisman Trophy. Brent, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus. Did anything happen in the interim <laughs> since we last spoke? Did anything maybe between a couple of coaches in the league play out since we last spoke? Have we had more of a eventful May uh, in memory? I mean, May usually is nothing more than – um, preseason magazines and making predictions and f- filling out lists and things like that. But boy, the uh, uh, the dust up obviously between two of the more high profile coaches in the game and SEC meetings. And, and I think what's going to be pretty important SEC meeting coming up more TV stuff. So uh, man, I, I do you remember a busier May Trav in a long time? No, and look, with the transfer portal and the things that we talk about on a consistent basis here, uh, so much uh, a, a big part of the, the landscape now of collegiate athletics in general, but certainly college football and uh, how that impacts the month of May. And, um, and as you said, uh, you know, we get into some of these uh, other issues now with NIL and we have a resulting dust up between mentor and disciple and <laughs> Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. I still felt like midweek last week, I still felt like, well, we may just ease through the remainder yeah. of May and get <laughs> yeah, to really. the spring meetings and yes. get to the first of June when really we start the, the calendar year for the next college football season. You know, June 1st, we get players back on campus, returning rosters back on campus, summer enrollees come together with that returning roster. And that's when you start pointing ahead to another college football season in earnest. But wow, Nick Saban in Birmingham, I guess it was, um, uh, threw a little bit of gasoline on a, on a simmering situation, a situation we thought with Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M that had pretty much gone dormant. Uh, Lo and behold, it was rekindled in mighty fashion, and uh, away we went, Brent. Uh, From what I understand, I think over the last few months, some coaches have kind of whispered Nick Saban's ear, Coach, uh, we know you can take the heat and that you can deal with some of these issues, and when you get an opportunity for uh, NIL and collectives and so forth, uh, can you can you say a little bit? So uh, he did, and again, Nick Saban very calculating, as you know, and what he says uh, certainly apologized for what he did, and I think that apology came after a call from Commissioner uh, Greg Sankey. So, uh, but I, I, Jimbo uh, endeared himself to his fan base, and I get all that, but. Jimbo also could have done a, a, a bit more, shall we say, for the good of the game and some of his comments, but he wasn't interested in doing that and has even doubled down a little bit. So, But it, it squarely has put focus 
uh, all the, uh, the the issues we got with the NIL and collectives. And again, as Nick Saban said, my problem is not with NIL. I think that's good for the players. The problem is is collectives. And, and Trav, we see a story this week uh, that is all about Lane Kiffin giving opinions uh, to, I think this was Sports Illustrated and Ross Dellinger about a myriad of subjects. Uh, and, and his point was a good one is uh, this gives boosters more empowerment a lot more than they ever should have right now. Yeah, it goes. It takes us back to the wild, wild west days of, say, like the Southwest Conference, it feels yeah, like. Yes. Uh, just pass the brass platoon around, huh. fill it up with cash, yeah. and then let's yeah. hit the recruiting trail. And right. that's where the biggest concern comes in. It's not, as you said, Nick Saban or other coaches uh, having issues with NIL because that's not the case. Uh, this has evolved from what we originally thought it would be in terms of, okay, you form partnerships with maybe car dealerships or uh, you know, companies in general, uh, in, in terms of sponsorship almost into, you're right, collectives and how that can play out on the recruiting trail before guys even get on campus, you know, inducements yes. essentially, uh, as they have always been known on the recruiting trail. So, yeah, I think as much as anything, it, it's, it's a perception issue just in terms of how these coaches even think about the movement, right? Um, oh, yeah. Nick Saban has sort of been pigeonholed in some corners as anti-NIL, which isn't the case. No. Uh, but in terms of how this – what the what the intent of all this was initially and what it has quickly become, I think, is what has so many of these coaches concerned. Uh, well, and uh, as uh, Travis Lane said in that SI article, he said what, what we're creating here is, uh, and he went back to his days of being with the Raiders, uh, he said the problem is some of these boosters are going to be starting to think they're the owners. Yeah. And what we dealt with, uh, it, so uh, how, how that is going to be reined in. Uh, now, again, there's a lot on on the uh, on the edge here that is going on that a lot of people don't talk about enough. Um, I know the NCAA, for one, is trying to come up with some more teeth for that paper tiger that they have been uh, with some um, a little bit more enforcement. Todd Berry at the at the uh, American Football Coach Association, they're trying to narrow the windows uh, of the transfer portal uh, to go along with this too. So, uh, but, but Trav, this thing's like trying to lasso a tornado at times, um, and it and it's frankly going to take uh, a a lot of work. But I think people finally, and I, and I think this is almost a good thing. We're not going to depend on the NCAA to get this done. This basically is going now to uh, the conferences and some of these other committees that might actually get some legislation done with this. Yeah, and it's with that backdrop that we look ahead to the SEC spring meetings where this is just a part of it. Uh, And you talk about conferences taking more of the reins – uh, in relation to to their 
futures. Uh, and the SEC looks to, to be proactive in that regard on the football front. And as is typically the case in, in spring with spring meetings, you get a lot of scheduling talk, a lot of uh, potential mod, models coming into play for the future from that perspective. And that's you know, something you have to consider if you're the SEC with Texas and Oklahoma just down the road uh, in terms of joining the league. But even from a championship perspective, you know, as much as we thought way back in 1992, wow, this this conference championship game is just going to totally change <laughs> yeah. the, the the lay of the land in, in college football. And, and it certainly did. Uh, but now rumblings of a potential championship playoff within the SEC. So it's not just going to be the Saban and Fisher storyline that's going to burn hot in Destin, but with scheduling, with uh, this other talk of uh, championship playoff and things like that that we're going to have as well, Brett. Well, and it's going to be fascinating. I mean, that we're uh, when we're talking about some big picture issues here is are we going to stay with eight conference games or are we going to nine? We've talked about this for years. I think we're on the verge of maybe going to nine probably sooner than we thought we would be uh, at this point too. So, and and then how do you do you take divisions away and go to uh, pods or something similar to that? The uh, now, now those are going to be the nut and bolt things I'll be talking about. I think the the intra not inter but the intra playoff has got a lot of people's attention. An eight team playoff because Greg Sankey is upset with some of these other conferences. And right now they've got the most power uh, at this point. Travis, I, I still don't think that's going to happen, although I give them credit because even Scott Strickland from Florida said, we've got to start looking at everything and a lot of different possibilities. Uh, uh, Trav, did you did you ever think 10 to, 10 to 20 years ago that the league would be looking out of the box as much as they may be now? No, but, you know, 20, 25 years ago was sort of before the league went on this all-time run in football with national championships. And then you start thinking about Texas and Oklahoma coming on board, and you start start thinking about, heck, you could go beyond a four-team playoff just within the SEC. You know, and that's understanding there's going to be some seismic change in the next 10 years in terms of perhaps the power structure within the league. Absolutely. Let's face it, Nick Saban's not going to coach until he's 90. Now, right. he may prove me wrong in that regard. Who knows? <laughs> but, you know, Alabama's going to undergo some significant change in the yes. next five to ten years. Uh, but even with that under consideration, uh, just the way the league is set up right now uh, and where it's going with the addition of at least two more powerhouses – who knows what the SEC will look like, right? right and even right. 10 years. We know that Oklahoma and Texas are coming on board, but Brent, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to think that this is a 20-team you know, league with four more juggernauts in, in the roster at some point in the, in the next decade or decade or plus. Well, and listen, I, the, the thing I will add to that is this. I agree with that totally. Uh, expansion is never dead. It's just dormant. Now, uh, I've seen 
I've seen not one but two articles from beat writers covering the Pac-12. And look, this may be a little bit of rhetoric, but I don't think it. I think I think there's some validity to this. Trev, even Southern Cal uh, has said um, in, in some of their officials, uh, we're looking at the future. And everything's on the table. Now, look, that may be trying to get a better deal with with, with uh, TV and within the conference and so forth. But but to your point, uh, geography's out the door, isn't it, bud? Uh, I, I, if, if some of these teams can make a better deal with another conference, even though the travel would be prohibitive, uh, would it shock you to see something like that happen down the road? Oh, I, I think you said it. Everything. Uh, would seem to be on the table for the next decade or so with the landscape of college athletics in general. Uh, we could look at it a lot on this program, more from the football perspective. But, you know, there are obviously other sports that have to be taken into account. Logistics and things like that uh, become problematic, you know, when you start trying to to travel teams, maybe the distances that you would have to for uh, – you know, on a weekly basis uh, over the course of a long, say, baseball season or, or softball or, you know, the Olympic sports, things like that. But from that scheduling perspective, uh, expected to be some interesting angles, I guess, discussed at the SEC spring meetings, Brent, with, you know, there was a time when we were thinking more along the lines, well, maybe the SEC will expand the rotating opponents to, yeah. say, like three or four. You know, something like that. This, this, what we're hearing now, would be a, a, a complete flip of the current model in terms of, you know, just very minimal, uh, minimal, permanent opponents, and then with the with the divisions now that being able to go away, uh, as as we've learned here in the last week or so, uh, boy, you could just have a, a really nice and broad mix. Uh, of games and opponents on a on a yearly basis in the not too distant future. Uh, well, and the reason this is happening, you and I were at the Alabama Florida game last year. That had been the first time in a decade that mm-hmm. Alabama had come to Gainesville, and uh, the, the the one that really people are looking at, uh, Trav, Georgia next year goes to A and M. That's the first time they've been at A and M since A and M joined the conference. Yeah, and. That's- and, and and Sankey has made it very clear that we need some of our better teams playing each other. Yeah, and, and it's also going to help your TV deal, right? I mean, no when, you, when, no when, you, when you're able to do that and, uh, you, know, you know, CBS, ESPN, um, you know, those folks would, would be uh, yes. would be big fans of that as well. I think we we all know that. But absolutely, the, the, the scenario you outlined with Georgia Tech, uh, with Georgia and in Texas A&M, that, that can't happen. You no, know, when, when, absolutely when you, not. When you have a – and I understand it's a 14-team league, but th- there should have been a way that, that we could have gotten the Aggies and Dogs together at College Station um, by by this point. You know, since what A&M came into the league in 2012, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. There, so, I, yes. So that's that's uh, that's uh, that's a little far fetched there, but so when we talk about scheduling and the potential for that, um, what are some of the other items maybe that we're looking forward to with the spring meetings uh, that, that 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 could maybe even fly under the radar a little bit? Uh, well, uh, I I really think that part of 
uh, and this is going to be behind closed doors. I think there's going to be some discussion among the coaches uh, and, and, and Trav, there's a couple things to this, and, and uh, I've said this for years, and I give John Pennington at Mr. SEC credit for this years ago uh, with that website. He said the two main things in the SEC are, number one, it's money. Number two, it's image. And uh, while Saban and Jimbo were great radio and print and Twitter fodder, uh, that did not amuse Greg Sankey, and it did not amuse the presidents. So uh, there, and look, they'll it'll be all kumbaya after it's over. But uh, behind closed doors, there there will be some uh, discussion uh, with Sankey and maybe the head of the presidents about uh, we can disagree, guys. But it's not going to be this public because they're looking at that, Travis, as uh, and to use an NFL analogy here, we don't want dirt on the shield. So uh, it could could that could that take up a little time coming up this weekend? Yeah, there may be a reassertion of uh, protocols. <laughs> yeah. Yes. When it comes to addressing differences in the public, kind of like almost the Godfather, never discuss the family business in front of strangers. So, uh, no, that I'm sure will be reasserted by, uh, Greg Sankey. And, you know, I'm also, uh, always interested in just more of the free flow of information that seems to come from spring meetings these days. Absolutely. Pertinent, more importantly, pertinent information, not fluff, not, you know, whatever that you get more and more. It seems like from sec media days, Seems like you get more of the the nuggets and the nuts and bolts type of information from SEC spring meetings than you do say the the phenomenon that's become SEC media days. Well, and, and I know you've been there before and covered it. And what I understand is they're more relaxed at that point, and maybe that gives them uh, a little bit more freedom to talk about some of these things. And I think one of the good things about media days is they, they can, instead, instead of uh, along with nuts and bolts, they, they can deal with a little bit of uh, uh, visionary stuff. What, what do we need to do in the future? But, but, but look, Travis, with, with the issues they've got right now, uh, with uh, NIL and boosters and, and TV money and things like that, uh, these contracts are coming to an end. Uh, this is 2022 and 2025, and we know they're going to be renegotiated before then. So doesn't that give a little bit more urgency to what we're going to have at, at the in Destin than we normally do? Yeah, you're going to have a couple more mouths to feed with yeah, uh, well, absolutely. OU and Texas coming in at that point. But they're two two brands that are going to help drive those prices up and those shares up, no doubt <laughs> about that. So, Brent, uh, we talk so much about the administrative side of things, and I'll be the first to say it. it this isn't my favorite time of the year. I, I love the football. I love the yes. – on the field stuff, but it has certainly become such a big part of college athletics moving forward with the changes and with the portal and 
the the one time transfer rule and NIL now. It's stuff that has to be covered because it is certainly already impacting is. what is going to happen on the field. Just in the last few weeks since we last spoke, you've had a guy like Jordan Addison, the 2021 right. Blitnikoff Award winner, uh, go on a little bit of a recruiting tour, leaving Pitt, but ultimately landing where I think everyone thought he was headed, which was USC, flirted with Texas a little bit. There was some talk about Alabama and you know, June has become coming up here. It's amazing because is we've talked about it's really the start of the calendar year for college football. But now you got official visits in June. That's right. You've got the camp circuit in June, which is huge on the recruiting trail, and some news with that in relation to Arch Manning. Certainly, when you talk about the 2023 recruiting cycle, he is that name. The Manning name is synonymous with this upcoming class, and. I know Arch had set some visits, Georgia, Alabama, Texas coming up in June. And it was interesting with that, that Alabama picked up a quarterback commitment from the state of Louisiana on Tuesday and Eli Holstein. So how will that impact Alabama with Arch? Uh, a lot to figure out. And it always starts with the quarterback position in every aspect of football, but recruiting uh, certainly in, in that mix as well. Uh, and we will certainly say that uh, uh, Eli is really a very good quarterback and has probably gotten swallowed up uh, in the midst of Arch Manning. But as far as uh, the intangibles for being a quarterback, Holstein has got the whole package. Mm-hmm. Had a great, had a great um, uh, spring game uh, with his team too. So uh, I think they, they, I think he is looked upon being very favorable. And, Travis, can we also say, uh, as we like to uh, dig into this a little bit, uh, he was an, a Texas A&M commit. He's from the state of Louisiana. I'm just guessing. <laughs> Trav, I'm guessing those two things did not escape when Nick Saban. No, it checks all the boxes of intrigue <laughs> right now yes, when you consider those items. Uh, previous evaluated. <laughs> and uh, commitment accepted by Jimbo Fisher. Uh, decommits from A&M, now headed to Nick Saban in Alabama uh, from the state of Louisiana, where, of course, Arch Manning and uh, Manning royalty reigns supreme yes. where the quarterback position is concerned. So uh, the hits just keep coming, man, when it comes to storylines and topics for what had previously been an otherwise pretty, pretty – uh, Pretty quiet month of May. Not anymore, I guess. Not anymore. Brent, anything else before we get out of here? I'm, I'm sure this didn't escape you, and we'll get into it uh, a little bit later. But uh, the uh, uh, the aspect, uh, and, and I'll give a c- c- couple quick on the field and then off the field thing. Here's the off the field thing. Travis, ESPN losing 8 million cable and satellite subscribers uh, in 2021. Um, uh, look, uh, you can look at that at a lot of angles, but, uh, I, I still say our streaming world, uh, is affecting a lot of things as far as, uh, whatever media we consume, is it not? Yeah. And I don't know enough about it, but it leads me to think that it's just, uh, a rearranging of the deck chairs in yes. some ways Yes, that ESPN may not get its money as much from traditional cable, but through 
ESPN Plus and you know its online platforms. I'm guessing ESPN still going to be okay. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't oh, view yeah. those. I mean, it's 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 certainly significant when you see it on paper, uh, and we know that ESPN is. Uh, you know, made some significant changes in terms of on-air talent, and it's really slimmed down in that regard, which tells you that you know the the money probably isn't there as much as it once was. But uh, these sort of entities have a way of reinventing themselves, it seems. And I I think you said it. I think the uh, the streaming aspect of this uh, and how much they're they're shifting it towards that. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they come up with ways to sort of gauge those changes. And and again, the revenues and how much it changes from traditional cable to online and streaming and and those things. But yeah, definitely interesting to note. Uh, And I'll end on a couple of things here. One, just to get your opinion on these, one would be, uh, uh, Trav, how about one Freddie Kitchens? Uh, ending up at South Carolina uh, as senior football analyst <laughs> is his title. And also, uh, Trev, almost uh, incredibly quietly, Mick Huber has yeah. ended his career after 33 years at, at the University of Florida after the South Carolina baseball game over the weekend, amazing in the state of Florida. Gene Deckerhoff at Florida State, Mick Huber at Florida. Would would we have thought both of them travel be would be retiring within a few weeks of each other? Yeah, it's it is amazing to consider it in, in that context with with both those voices choosing to uh, move on. And you know, Mick Hubert, it it was it was. Just kind of a okay. I'm going to work this baseball series yeah, coming up. And, I'm gone, <laughs> and that's going to be it. And I and I read the update. I think it was Scott Carter um, yes. that did that uh, from the UF perspective. And um, yeah, it just uh, seems like Mick came to that decision along with his wife. And you know, and I think like what gets looked over, or missed out, is we talk so much about how coaches and the lives of coaches impact everyone around them from a family perspective yes you don't think about it in terms of you know the 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 play-by-play announcers folks like that 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 bring you the broadcast i mean when you think about McHuber and a football coach yeah if a football coach is uh, it's a 365 job don't get me wrong but it doesn't take you away from home True. as much as say like if you're a play-by-play person these days and you're trying to do football, basketball, and like baseball, you know, the three sports like that, that, that the traditional play-by-play announcers mm-hmm. at the college level have always done, you, you think about how much you're you're gone. You know, I mean, because a baseball series, you're leaving with the team on a Thursday if it's a Friday right. to Sunday series. You're not getting back till Sunday night. Um, you know, that, that's a lot. So I know Mick spoke on that. Uh, in terms of making the decision at this point. And so uh, good for him on a, a lengthy and illustrious career. And uh, it'd be interesting to see where the Gators go from here. Yeah, it sure will. But Trav, always enjoy uh, being able to do our podcast. Uh, uh, I would be uh, remiss if I didn't say normally, normally, Trav, we'd have a preseason magazine in our hands 
we we don't yet. It's still going to be about the uh, first or second week of June, but with everything mm-hmm. else that's changing, the preseason magazines had to change too with that with that May one. Uh, and you were talking about this earlier. Listen, I'm not sure May one is not going to be one of the real um, deadlines during the year that we now look at. That's going to be uh, that's going to be very <coughs> would change a lot of things because by May one, you've got to know where you're going to be playing uh, and and be on a roster during that time. So magazines having to adjust too, like all the rest of us. Yeah, it's uh, in terms of roster structuring, May one is. Uh, certainly become a, a big, big mile marker in that regard. For Brent Beard, Travis Rice, thanking you for joining us right here on Second Helping. If you haven't subscribed to the Second Helping podcast, we certainly hope you will do so. Anywhere you consume podcasts, you're going to find Second Helping. If you leave us a rating and a review while you're there, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Brent, hope you have a great Holiday weekend, Memorial Day, certainly significant uh, in that we remember those who have served our country, protected our country, uh, done so at the, the highest level and and offered the greatest sacrifices. And I uh, look forward to doing it again soon, Brent. We will. And, and listen, we would also be remiss, uh, and we won't get into it, but uh, obviously our thoughts and prayers go to uh, the families uh, of the ones who lost their lives in this awful tragedy in Texas with the elementary school and, and uh, for healing for those parents and grandparents and all the people that are involved. Uh, Travis and I have have uh, sons and daughters and grandkids, and we uh, uh, appreciate the pain that these folks will be going through today. So uh, our, our prayers certainly go out to them. Senseless, heartbreaking, and at this point, Totally in, inexcusable. Absolutely. And uh, that, that, that's the only way I, I know to some echo your sentiments that you, you laid out there so well. For Brent, Travis, thanks again. We'll join you right here on Second Helping again in the very near future. Until then, so long, everybody. <laughs>